before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One in himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. One in himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, what great love you have loved us with. Lord, that you would send your son to die on behalf of us guilty sinners, Lord. Because indeed, when the accuser comes and says of what great sins we have committed, Lord, we know that it's true. We know that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, yet we have a Savior who paid the penalty for our sins, so we do not have to bear that guilt. And Lord, even now we know that Christ is interceding for us, Lord, before the throne of God, and we know that you've sent your Holy Spirit to intercede for us within us, Lord, that you have sealed with your Spirit. Lord, what powerful and great love which you have loved us with. Lord, so thank you. Lord, thank you for revealing this to us. Thank you that we can glory in the salvation that you have given to us and give you all the praise that you deserve for it. So as we come before your words, open our hearts. Lord, show us truth from your word. Lord, show us about yourself. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor Bob. Give him your strength. And we come before you even now in Christ's name.
We'll be continuing in chapter 11 of Romans this morning, and I'll be picking up at the 17th verse when I read it into uh, the service this morning, but kind of a, uh, a step back uh, for a moment, uh, going back to the beginning of this particular section of Romans 11, uh, Paul is, is taking that position of asking the questions that someone might ask in reference to uh, the fact that Israel, uh, is, is, as a nation, is not pursuing Christ. I was thinking as we sang that song, it was kind of like, there it is, you know, this is, this is my Christ who's been crucified for me, and the nation of Israel as a whole rejected this. And... Uh, so the question comes up is, well, are they out of the picture? Basically, looking at it this way, are they out of the picture? Is it just the Gentiles now? And, and, and even to the point where some had taken that position, well, the, the, the Israel is no more. There's just the, the Gentiles. And then, and then saying, well, and, and, and maybe the reverse where those of, of, of the Jewish faith will proselyte to us, uh, the Gentiles and, and, and become a part of the, of the body of Christ. And Paul wants to make sure that we get a full understanding of this, and that's what he's doing here in chapter 11. And so when it says, he says, I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And the idea of fall here means to fall out of, out of relationship completely, I believe. And uh, he says, by no means. No. Uh, their trespass uh, uh, has, has come to the Gentile... Uh, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so to make Israel, so as to make Israel jealous. So what, what Paul is saying, he says, two things have happened here uh, as he's speaking to the Gentiles in the, in the Church of Rome. He's basically saying, no, Israel is not out of the picture, but, they, they, but as they have fallen backwards for the moment, he said, it's opened the door so that the Gentile church may see Christ. And as a result, God, just showing that God's not done with this yet, he says, with the purpose of, of, of making Israel jealous to the point where they will at some point see Jesus the Messiah who died for them and, and say, that's mine too. Verses 13 through 15 also, he says, you know, very specifically, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Uh, inasmuch as that I am apostle to the Gentiles, that I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. He emphasizes that again and save some of them. For if their rejection means the uh, uh, reconcilia reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? In other words, he says, if their falling away has done something good, how much more, Paul loves to use this kind of an argument, if this, then how much more will, when they return to, to the, uh, a relationship with God, will things be a celebration and, and great? And so that's what he wants to emphasize. And then he goes to verse 16 and, and lets us see very clearly uh, by a picture. He says, you know, there's, there's the, the dough that's separated out of the lump that's used in the temple. He, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this so you can get the full picture of what he was talking about. There's the dough that's separated out of the lump that's used in the temple. He says... The actuality is, is that even though that dough is separated out and used over here, all of it is holy. All of it is separate. All of it's committed to the Lord in that sense of, of, of the, the idea of it being special. 
And, and he says, just like in the root of a, of, of a tree, the branches are tied to the root, and if the root is holy, then the, 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 the branches would be holy also. Now, the idea of holy here that he's using in verse 16 isn't the holy ID sanctified saved. It's more attuned to the idea of holy, i.e. separated for the purpose of God. And he is speaking, when he speaks of the olive tree, he is speaking of the nation of Israel. Was the nation of Israel set apart as a nation for the purposes of God? Root and branches all. Yes. Are there times through the season of, of the, the history of, of Israel that they messed that up in their relationship with God? Like us. <laughs> over and over and over again. And God had to continually bring judgment into them. But all of it, the while, restoring them, they fall away, he restores them, all with the purpose of, of using the nation of Israel for one very specific purpose to bring an understanding of who he is and his desire to what? Save them. Always pointing to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And as the Christ comes into the picture, what happens? The nation of Israel as a whole rejects him. And so that comes to these, all these questions. Well, how, what's the root and, and branch relationship now? What, how is this all going to, to, to work out? And that's just where we're going uh, with a little bit of this this morning. First off, to understand that what we talked about in reference to uh, the, 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 the main thrust of what Paul wants to accomplish here, and that is first and foremost, he's not, you know, he didn't set out, I don't believe, to, to make a long thing about, you know, the nation of Israel and, 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 and everything, as much as to say, why it is careful that we don't boast in ourselves. What was the nation of Israel's biggest problem? Always falling after God secures them, getting them and blessing them for a season, always turning around and becoming self-important uh, because of it. And then the next phase was to become self-sufficient and not need God. Look at me and all that I have done. God, I'm glad you made me a Pharisee and not like this tax collector over here. Both of them Jewish. <laughs> you know, or God, uh, thank you for blessing me that I can bless many and I throw out my coins to the poor. And literally announcing it with a horn. You see, they, 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 they came again to that point where, well, if I do all of this, then I'll be right with God. And after all, Father Abraham, I am Jewish. And resting in, in certain things, what did Abraham rest in? What does it tell us that Abraham in 15.6 of Genesis, what does it tell us that, that Abraham rested in? Faith, righteousness. It was due to him. His faith was what was, looked at him as righteousness. What did Abraham have faith in? That the God of, of, of creation was in a relationship with him that had made promises and that God would keep the promises. So much so, we talked about this, that he could offer Isaac, and even to the point of Isaac's death, if necessary, with the confidence that God would resurrect him because he was the son of promise. He had faith. Isaac 
rested in that same faith. Jacob rested in that same faith. Judah, David, did they all have perfect behavior lives? <laughs> Far from it. But God, but, but when it came time to repentance and, and reconciliation, they always came back to that reality of, of, of who God is. And so what Paul sees in this olive tree of verse 16 is the, is the reality that the, the, the root, and if you will, the, the, the nourishing part of the system, the root, the trunk part of the system, that is Abraham, the promises, and the patriarchs. And it is solid. And it has nourished the nation of Israel for all of its history. And what he wants us, I think, to see as a side note here is how we fit into this picture as well as Gentiles. So again, what main, the main picture that Paul wants to address here is that don't fall into the same trap or temptation that as God blesses you, you become not only self-satisfied, but you become self-sufficient and, and as a result, drift away from God. Uh, and, and also uh, that, that God is not through with Israel yet. And in the relationship, how does the Gentile church fit in with that as, as relationship to Israel? Now, Paul makes it clear that, that even while Paul is preaching, even though the whole nation of Israel is spoken of as apostate in a sense, Paul says there is a remnant. God's always had a remnant. He goes back to the Old Testament to talk about it and show it, but, but the idea is, is that Paul says, look at me, I'm part of it. And so with all of that, he says there is always a remnant even of the, of the Hebrew people that God is still bringing in. And I shared that with you a couple weeks ago as we looked at that with the idea of look around. If, uh, I don't know how many of you know uh, what is generally termed messianic Jews. There's another word to them. It's, uh, some of them use the word completed Jews. <laughs> uh, the idea that they are resting in the grace of Christ. Last week, I, my primary focus was indeed on the root. And in verse 18, uh, well, let's just go to these verses and, and, and then we'll come back to them in, uh, a bit at a time. Verse 17 uh, through 24. Paul writes to them, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, all of that to get to this, do not be arrogant towards the branches. What branches is he talking about? The Jews, period, at this point. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Well, so remember, the root is... Abraham promises for patriarchs that supports you, and he's speaking to the Gentiles. Then you will say, well, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. In other words, to make room for me. Well, open the door for me. Didn't he, Paul just say, by the falling off of the Jewish people, that opened the door to the Gentile people, that it might make the Jewish people jealous? It's a true statement. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, or what? Belief, opposite of unbelief. 
So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that in the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue, uh, provided you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? By the way, just a side note. What happens to the branches when they're, when they're, they're cut off the, the, the tree? Oh, they burn them, or if they just go into a pile, what happens to them? They die. They become. I think that's important that you grasp that. Because he's saying the branches get cut off. Now they're just sitting over here in a pile. What does that mean that God can do? He can bring back to life? Made me think of of the bones in Ezekiel. I mean, it just. God is. This, this, this whole picture of grafting in and all this kind of stuff, I shared this, this part with you last week, does not match the way we naturally do things. You normally take a healthy, you know, good bearing fruit branch and you want it to, 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 to be a part of, of what you are doing over here and you've got this root system over here and you graft it in and it bears its good fruit, you know. Uh, and, and you don't take a dead you know, or a, a, a branch that, that, that produces an edible fruit, which would be a wild olive tree, and graft it in. God says, I do everything opposite. <laughs> you know, he does. he does. And isn't that what he said in our scripture reading this morning? He says, I take the things that people say can't happen, and I make them happen. And so, in this picture, I, there are some commentators who think Paul is off base here because I think I mentioned this again last week. Was you know he's born in Troy, a city boy, doesn't understand agriculture, uh, horticulture, uh, uh, raising trees. No, Paul. Paul, first off, isn't the only one involved in putting the words down here. Holy Spirit is, and definitely Holy Spirit understands trees. Uh, and so, you know, putting this together, he's trying to create a picture that you can see God's the one in control of all of this at, at, the, at the outset of that. And in every way. But he says, that if some of the branches are broken off, you know, this is what he wants you to catch on to. Uh, you know, be, beware, you know, uh, that you don't support, you know, that you don't get a, 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 a big head about it because you've been grafted in. Remember where your nourishment comes from. You don't make the root work. The root nourishes you. The promises that God made to Abraham as, uh, are, are in, going to impact you too. What were the promises made to Abraham? Remember in Genesis 12 that he was going to make a nation specifically out of Abraham. Barren wife, no son of their own getting too old to have one, God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And from your seed, I am going to bless all the earth. Now, how is that all tied in? 
the nation, the nation of Israel? How does God through the seed, singular, according to Galatians chapter 3, bless all the earth? Jesus Christ. Abraham and his forefathers, the root. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, the promises that were made. God made the promise to David. How long is his kingdom going to last? Is that what's ruling Israel today? Well, then how does it last forever? Through Christ, descendant of David. Because God kept the Hebrew people. Oh, you see how it all just comes together? So the promises that are made to Abraham are what nourish us, the church, today. The seed, the Christ, the Messiah. As a result, Paul will write, you know, basically there's no Jew, no Gentile in the church. We're all the same. But we don't want to forget, and, and this is what's important, that, that we draw from that same root nonetheless. In fact, so much so that even though we're all the same, Paul will actually use an interesting term to identify us. He will call us spiritual Israel. I think that's amazing because of the amount of, of through the history, the anti-Semitism that's gone on, even, sadly, in, in, in the history of, 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 and I'll put it in quotes, Christendom. Not, I'm not going to put the word Christian in quotes there. Christendom. You know, the... the the points where Christians have, uh, uh, have become the government, lost sight of the things of God, and even persecuted to a way that you can't imagine the Hebrew people. Wrong. It's a sad thing that, that, that people who want to fight against Christianity and say it's you know, a bad thing and, and religion is bad because they can point to those things. But the reality is, is that we're spiritual Israel. We're tied to that heritage. It's part of who we are. The Old Testament isn't some historical past tense thing that we don't... It's an intricate part of our faith. Now, it's interesting. If the seed is Christ, and, it's Christ and, 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 and it blesses all the earth as well as the nation of Israel, all who believe... then we all together at that point become joint heirs in accordance with the promise that God has made. So I kind of went through a therefore, if this, therefore, this kind of, of, of structure for myself here in my notes. If there's a rejection of Christ, now, what happened? We read in, 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 in 1 Corinthians in the scripture reading this morning, Christ to the, to the Jews is a what kind of stone? Stumbling stone. Okay? What have they done? They've rejected Christ. Okay? If they have rejected Christ, then they've actually rejected Abraham. Even though they say, Father Abraham... They've rejected him because they have rejected Christ. They have therefore separated themselves from the promise. Both the physical promises and the spiritual promises. For the moment, they've, they've pulled out. 
by rejecting what it all led to and pointed to. No more clearly is that stated than in John chapter 8 where Jesus talks to the, to the prideful Jews uh, and the leadership and the Pharisees. And he says, you reject me. And I'm paraphrasing a whole bunch into a very short thought here. You reject me as a result. You identify who your father really is, and it's not Abraham. He says, your father is the devil. You could tell that their reaction, that <laughs> they weren't happy about this. They understood what he said. He was saying, you're separated from the promises of Abraham. And they were angry, so angry that they wanted to do what? They wanted to kill him. And ultimately, they did. And so Paul will, or Peter will point out in Acts this whole transition. What was promised you, you put to death on the cross. Enough so that a few, the remnant, starting there, were pierced to the heart, Acts chapter 2, and they said, what must we do to be saved? What were they asking? What must we do to plug back into the promises of Abraham? So Israel's unbelief is a rejection of the root. Can the root nourish Israel if it's rejecting it? No, it's pulled itself away from it. They instead were resting in self-sufficient works or their presumed relationship as born Jewish. And they were saying that's sufficient. Paul says their unbelief, basically, is what has separated from the promises and the branches have been broken off. So what is, almost a play on words, What's the root cause of this, of, of this separation? Arrogance, self-sufficiency, boasting in their own self. So like I said, Paul's warning the church against this. In 18, he warns them. In verse 21, uh, he says, uh, for God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. If, you. if you take on their same kind of arrogance, you take on their same, you won't be spared. And in verse 25, uh, which we haven't got to, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I want you to understand this mystery. We'll get, more, get to that more later, but, but this whole picture is to get us into a humble calling on God, resting in him completely, attitude. Even when he blesses us beyond our wildest ideas and imagination, we don't turn around and say, somehow I deserved it. Or somehow, you know, you get the attitude. And I've heard some testimonies that have been shared this way. I did this and God blessed me here. In fact, I heard some just the other day on a TV ministry. I did all of this and then God blessed me and now I'm doing it more. What's the anticipation? You know? Um, I know people that have done all those things that that same person had done and never saw a dollar. But are deeply embedded in the 
promises of Christ and of Abraham. Well, if this is the general condition of Israel, is there any hope? Well, that's where Paul wants to go with this. Is there any hope for Israel? And the answer is going to be yes. By the way, you realize that there are a lot of people in this, because you look at the Hebrew people of Jesus' time and, and, and up to this point today even, who, you know, there's many of them that are resting outside of Christ is in somehow a relationship thinking that they've got the promises of Abraham, that they're resting in them for their lives right now, individually. And they're not. So there's a false confidence that goes there. Is it possible that that can happen to the Gentiles as well? Absolutely. I know, I know numbers of people that have been, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Of course I'm Christian. I remember the song in the 70s that came out, Secondhand Faith. And it won't save you. <laughs> yeah. And so this warning is valid to us. That's what Paul is trying to say. Don't let it happen to you what's happened here. Stay tied through Christ into the promises of, 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 the, of the root. Let it nourish you. And realize, it's not because of anything I have done. It's because what God has done. And stay in that mode. But coming back to this, this picture, did God's, you know, uh, I, I put it here, did God's plan to make them jealous work? Well, I haven't seen it yet. Not as, but the way the, 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 the scripture seems to speak of it. But that's because it's not over yet. There's something that has to happen, which we, we haven't got to yet. That's called the fullness of the Gentiles. We're not getting into that today, but that comes up in a couple of verses. You know, when the fullness of the Gentiles come, it's, this, this picture will happen. Like I said, though, the real key that, that, that I believe that, that Paul's driving for is this picture that comes out of the next verse, which really will become the focus into next week, but verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, referring to the Gentiles. And that took me back to, for the moment, to, to, to kind of close with some of the thoughts that come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We read verses 18 through uh, 31, but... But uh, just looking at these, uh, I love the, the way Paul writes here. He says, where is the one who is wise? Now, wait a minute. What did he say? Lest you be wise in your own sight. Where is the one who is wise? What he's referring to is, who, who, where is the one that's wise in his own sight? In other words, there's people who say, oh, I, I, I speak at the, the Acropolis or, the, uh, or I speak here or I speak there. I'm one of the people that gathers thousands who come to listen to me. I'm one of the, prophet, uh, the, the, the uh, philosophers of the time or whatever. And uh, they'd meet together on Mars Hill and, and uh, discuss philosophy, world religions. In fact, they got so excited about Paul. I mean, he, oh, that sounds like something new. Let's invite him to come and talk. As soon as he got to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they said, oh, that was interesting. Goodbye. Don't call us. We'll call you. 
That's foolishness to us. Oh, this is what it said it would be. He says, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, its own self, in other words. It pleased God through the folly of what he preached to save those who believe. That, that picture of, of the world looking for itself to answer its questions. The, the, the human, Humanist Manifesto, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that as a document. It's been written and rewritten since the third, 1933, I think might have been the first one. Uh, it's been written two or three times since then. But one of the key phrases in there is that there is no God. Man is not going to be saved by the intervention of a God. Man must save himself. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is man can't save himself. Only God can save him through what Christ has done. Take a quick moment here for prayer. That's an emergency call. Father, we, we even join as Ted moves right now towards a specific situation that the numbers of, of emergency responders are probably being called to at this point. We ask, Lord, for their safety, and then we in turn ask for your hand on whatever the emergency is, that you would uh, intervene and, 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 and work according to your purpose there. And uh, we ask for safety for all who are responding in Jesus' name. Amen. We're to rest in Christ. We're to rest in the promises. To be nourished by the root of the olive tree. And as we do, the idea is to become healthy branches. And the only way that happens is as we draw from what the olive tree gives to us. And ultimately, it gives to us the promise of Christ, the seed of Abraham, and our salvation. There's some who, who see the root system as just the salvation. And, and I, I agree that it all points to that. And therefore, it is the, the, the very essence of it in the sense of what holds it together. But it's all that goes back to Abraham as the promise as well. And so what we do when we, we share in communion is we take this last phrase of, 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 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 literally. Let no one boast, let no one who boasts, uh, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As we take communion, that's exactly what we're doing. We're boasting in what the Lord has done. The seed, singular, of Abraham, the Christ, the Messiah, took our sins. And now we rest in his grace. He paid it all. Ask the ushers to come forward, pass the emblems out, uh, hold them till we've all been served, and then I'd ask the, the musicians to come forward as well. Thank you.